0: Before I got married, my sister didn't specifically say she was giving me advice, but that's how I took it. She said, because she was much more experienced than I, in her marriage she had learned to not say things as soon as they came to mind, but to filter them and wait for the right time. Well, this was mystifying to me when she told me I was still unmarried. And I had heard that honesty was a good policy, and I didn't realize that there was a qualifier for timing. Well, jumping ahead many years, it's the middle of the night, and I'm pacing. After sorry, after, after nine months of pregnancy and a few hours of early labor pains, I'm wondering when is the elusive right time? I'm letting my husband sleep because it's late and typically he was getting up early. But I can't sleep as I walk around trying to remember information from our childbirth class two and a half years prior. So finally, after watching the clock and waiting and wondering, has the hour come? I woke Brian and spoke the words that every man dreads hearing from his wife. We need to talk. Early in Jesus' ministry, at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, Jesus' mother told Jesus that the hosts had run out of wine. Now, as any good grown son would do, he took that as a hint that she wanted him to do something about it. Jesus deflected her comment with this one, My hour has not yet come. Later in his ministry, a commentator points out when Jesus' teaching astonishes Jerusalem, the leaders attempt to arrest him but fail because his hour has not yet come. Again in chapter 8, the narrator explains that Jesus could not be arrested because his hour had not yet come. In chapter 12, today's passage, there's an abrupt change. It's the festival of Passover, and Jerusalem is the place to be. It would be like for us on a national level going to Washington, D.C. for the 4th of July. Why are Greeks in Jerusalem for the Passover? Some assume that they are interested in Judaism, but they are at least interested in one Jew. And just as we might call the agent of a famous person if we wanted to meet with them, these Greeks go first to Philip and say, We want to see Jesus. Philip goes to his business partner, Andrew, and then they Together, go and tell Jesus what they said. And here's the pivotal point. Jesus responds to them that the waiting is over. They no longer need to wonder when is the right time. After hearing again and again that his hour had not yet come, suddenly it's here. Jesus says, the hour has come. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then for telling his future he continues, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. A young woman spoke to a group last week at the rescue mission about her life before the rehab program and her life now. She noted that she may not be what most imagine when they think of someone at a rescue mission. Unlike the town drunks and bag ladies, she was a wife, a mother, a teacher, a homeowner, a minivan owner. She also was an alcoholic. For a long time, she was able to hold it all together, but eventually her destructive tendencies caused the world to come crashing down around her. She lost her husband, she lost her children, something she said she would never do. She went to jail. In her jail cell, she hit bottom. She had no more excuses, no other escape, except to the book in her cell, a Bible. And that was the beginning of her life's turnaround. Listen to that verse from John 12 again. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The mixture of that jail cell and Bible were the soil and fertilizer into which Michelle fell and died. Dying to herself, she is sprouting forth to new life, new life devoted to Jesus as her Lord and her guide. So that day, in that group of people as she was speaking, Maybe someone was listening who was struggling with substance abuse. Maybe someone in the group's families or churches needed to hear about Michelle's words of hope or to know that there's a place locally that they can go to get help. Michelle has not even finished her rehab program, but already she is bearing fruit. Jesus continued. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, my Father will honor. And that's a great call to servanthood and to the rewards that come from giving our lives to others. And yet that's not all that Jesus says in this passage. He goes on to say more about his death and what sort of fruit that death would bring forth. Charles Campbell, who teaches at Columbia Divinity School, says that the writer of the Gospel of John has a large and dramatic understanding of the work of the cross. John is not concerned with the forgiveness of individual sins nor does he proclaim a form of substitutionary atonement through which Jesus takes on the divine punishment that human beings deserve in order to relieve us of our condemnation and guilt. Rather, in this passage, Jesus' crucifixion judges the world and drives out the ruler of this world. In Jesus' time, as in ours, the world is not a friendly place. Campbell says a better word to use might be the system instead of the world. And so he says, and this system is driven by a spirit or force, that phrase the ruler of the world, whose ways are domination, violence, and death. Indeed, in this text, the crucifixion is interpreted as an exorcism in which the system is judged and its driving force is cast out by the means of the cross. Dr. George Sweeting wrote about when he and his family visited Niagara Falls. It was spring... And the ice was rushing down the river and going over the falls. And as he saw the blocks of ice, he also saw that within them, frozen within them, there were carcasses of dead fish embedded in the ice. And so gulls, by the score, were riding down the river and feeding on the fish. Talk about to go. As they came to the brink of the falls, their wings would go out and they would escape then from the falls. He said he watched one gull which seemed to delay and he wondered if it was going to do the same as the others did. It was engrossed. In what it was eating, and when it finally came to the brink of the falls, out went its powerful wings. And the bird flapped and flapped and even lifted lifted that piece of ice out of the water. And he thought it was going to escape, but it had waited so long that its claws had frozen to the ice. The weight of the ice was too great. And so the gull, along with the ice, plunged down into that abyss at Niagara Falls. The finest attractions of this world become deadly when we are overly attached to them. And so we think about, to what are our feet frozen with that image that we have? Campbell asks it in this way, what are the primary aspects of the system that hold us captive and take us down the path of death rather than life? Glean what you will from these illustrations. In 1975, six armed gunmen broke into the deposit boxes in a London bank and stole valuables worth over $7 million dollars. One lady had jewelry in there that was appraised at $500,000, and she wailed, everything I had was in there. My whole life was in that box. To what were her feet frozen? Late last century, a survey on marital violence reported that approximately one in every seven American couples has used some form of physical abuse during an argument within the past year. Are our feet frozen to the belief that violence solves conflicts? One Hollywood producer called another and said, Hi, Bernie, this is Harold. How are you doing? Bernie says, Great. I just signed a multi-million dollar deal with a major studio. I just sold a screenplay for over a million dollars to a hot new director. I have a new new TV series that's coming on the air next month. Everyone says it's going to be a hit. I'm doing great. How are you? Harold says, fine. Listen, Bernie, I'll call you back when you're alone. To what were Bernie's feet frozen? Competition, materialism, violence. These are among the captivators of our system that freeze our feet to the ice and keep us from flying off to the safety of our God of love, equity, and peace. In upcoming days, Jesus will respond to Pontius Pilate by saying, My kingdom is not from this world, or again, as Campbell says, this system. If my kingdom were from this system, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Campbell again, once more, because he helped me understand this passage better, said, on the cross, Jesus publicly and dramatically judges the system by exposing it for what it is, not the divine regent of the world, but an opponent of God's purposes, not the way of life, but the way of death. And by exposing the system in this way, Jesus casts out its driving force. For once we have seen the system for what it is, we begin to be set free from its captivating ways. We are set free to die to a life shaped by the system in order to live fully and freely in the way of Jesus. Okay, little seeds. We have been planted in fertile soil. What will we do when the rain and warmth of God's love and hope for triumph call us forth? And what would it look like for you to bear much fruit? Let's pray. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Sometimes we feel like we are in the darkness of the ground, but help us to trust that as we reach out to you, you, like the sunlight, are reaching down to us, calling us forth, calling us to love and faith and joy and peace. With thanksgiving, we pray In the name of the Lord of peace, Jesus Christ, amen.